Well, if you love the Lord, say amen. amen. What a joy it is to be here with you. And I didn't know there was a bottle up here. We got two now. And uh, don't get nervous. That don't make the message any longer. And uh, if we get desperate, we'll baptize a few laters, Brother B.R. Lakin used to say. And uh, but what a joy to be with you and appreciate, Pastor, how much I love him. And uh, those nice things he said, I feel the same, if not more, about him. And uh, I guess the first time I come around these parts, I don't even know how many of you was a part of this church. There's a lot of young folks sitting around here, but I guess it's been about 12 years ago. Uh, don't feel right. I don't think I'm that old. I was trying to count it up three or four times over there. How many of you don't like it when you find the same number every time? <laughs> Care whether it's your bank account or your age, it don't feel good. And uh, But about 12 years ago, I guess I come up here the first time uh, with Brother Greg a long time ago and had some good meetings, Brother Ira, wherever he's at. And man, we've had, there he is on the front and uh, a lot of good memories over the years. And now here we are with the privilege of being here to preach to you. And I trust that the Lord's going to help us in these days, no doubt. Uh, these are important days. I was just with a very uh, dear preacher friend of mine yesterday, and his church has been praying, meeting every week. They're meeting tonight. And I uh, had a prayer around the clock one day, a uh, pattern after Dr. Percy Ray and some of what they would do praying for America that he's heard from Brother Daniel talking to him. With tears in his eyes, he just said, Preacher, he said, I can't explain to you how burdened I am. And the darkness that I feel like is over our land. And I said, I know exactly what you're talking about. He said, but how in the world do I get my people to understand how important this is? And I said, preacher, all I know to tell you is it'll take God. God in mercy is going to have to show people and un, kind of unpeel or peel the layers, so to say, of our heart back. So we can really understand how important these days are. I hope you understand that as this COVID-19 fades out and other things fade on the horizon, I hope you understand this isn't the end, this is the beginning. There's a whole lot more that they're up to. I believe it's a real virus. And I know real people, just like in Brother Winston's family, that have went to heaven. And it's a tragedy and it's a real situation. But I promise you, as one leader said one time of the liberals in this country, they never let a pandemic, they never let a catastrophe go to waste. And there's a lot at stake, and I believe the church is at the center of this whole hub. And all I know to tell you is God's still God. But somebody better go hunt down the Lord and crawl up at heaven's throne before it's too late. We need some real Christians in these days. One feller said this to me. He said, I'm worried to death about my church. I said, yes, sir. He said, I'm afraid that we're going to have a Facebook church rise up out of this and everybody's going to want to go sit at the lake and watch me preach to nobody on a computer and they'll enjoy their Sundays. Only thing I knew to say back to him is I said, well, I said, that may be true of the devil's crowd, but I said, God's people will want church. My Bible says, you know, you pass from death unto life because you love the brethren. I'm glad I'm back in church. I heard a choir for the last, first time last night in about three months. And brother, I about tore the building apart. 
All them people got to worshiping. Three or four ladies went to shouting. People was crying. I turned around and looked at my wife, and I ain't sure what face I gave her. I almost think I was trying to get a big rig to blow his horn. I was having me a time on the front row. I said that to say this. You don't really know how much you miss something until it's gone. Boy, I've had to do some apologizing to God for how I've taken the church for granted and how calloused and casual I've handled the holy things of God. Boy, if God will help me by his grace, I sure don't want to ever get back to that place. I was thinking coming up the road today, ain't it just going to be good to be with God's people? Looking for some great things in these days. Got your Bible? Esther chapter number four. Esther chapter number four. If you're curious about where that's at, it is a small book. Just ten little old chapters. You find Job, flip right back, and you'll be at Esther. you got a Schofield. We'll be on page 561, chapter number four. The book of Esther, you stand with me tonight when you found your place. And the Lord will, and I maybe want to take the next few nights, as long as God don't leave otherwise. And I want to preach to you along the lines of sort of, uh, I guess we would talk about something along the lines of legacy, serving from the shadows, however you want to title it. But I believe the greatest need in the hour right now is as we go back into the church and as churches begin to have services and as the world is watching and everybody's wondering and one thing's happening after another, is this going to take more than just preachers preaching? It's going to take people serving, finding their place to make a difference for God. You do realize tonight that you just didn't join the church for no reason. Greatest day in your life outside of getting saved is when you find out why you got saved. Why God made you the way he made you. You saved on purpose with a purpose. You was created with on purpose with a purpose. And the greatest reason God made you the way you are is because there's some void in the church you're a part of that only you can fill. And when we're all working together, that's when we can make a difference. Now I'll talk to you along those lines tonight. Esther chapter number 4, verse number 14, the Bible says, But if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Read that last phrase again. It's important tonight. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. So will I go in unto the king. And remember this phrase tonight. Now this is where we'll end which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. Read that with me tonight. And if I perish, I perish. By God's help tonight for a little while, want to preach on this thought, one little light, the power of one little light. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. God, we humble ourselves before you. And God, we thank you for mercy and grace. Dear God, for just being a part of the church. God, to just have a little place on the roll call of heaven knowing that our name's been written down in the Lamb's book of life. 
Dear God, I pray tonight you would meet with us. I pray that a breath would come from the four corners of the earth. God, as Brother Stewart wrote so well and preached so well, come, O breath of God. Lord, that's the greatest need of the hour. If we could just get in your manifested presence, meet the requirements, dear God, you're more than willing to sin. The precious, exalted, manifested power of the Holy Ghost of God. I pray you'd bind every opposing force of hell. Dear God, zero our minds. Melt our hearts. Give us our tears back, God. Give us our heart back. God, set us ablaze in these days, as Moody said. Dear Lord, if we'd get set on fire, people would come for miles to watch us burn. Lord, work on us in these days. Dear God, give me holy unction to preach. I'm well aware of my inabilities, my great need for you. God, touch your people. Anoint their hearts to hear and to obey the word of God. And Lord, whenever your will is accomplished in this meeting, may victory be had. And God, may the greatest days of this church be ahead. God, let us be a light on a hill. God, let us be a light everywhere we go. Dear God, touch us tonight. Help us, Lord, and we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for all that you do. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, the book of Esther, it's just a little book. I already mentioned just 10 little chapters. But as I like to say it back where I'm from, she's loaded to the brim with good news, with good doctrine, and with good help for everything you need in your life. Just to give you a little backdrop, we find that there's two things that are very prevalent in the life of the Jews. Number one, we find it was a dark hour. Chapter number two tells us that the Jews are in bondage and they're in slavery. Although the king is, seems to be favorable towards them up until this point and things seem to be going pretty well, they're still in bondage. I don't know about you tonight, but I thank God I live in a country where I'm free. I still love that flag and respect that flag because I could be in a lot of places where I couldn't go where I want, preach when I want to, buy what I want to, but it's good to be free. It was a dark hour because they were not free, but business begins to change and it doesn't just wind up being dark but it turns out to be a desperate hour. Chapter number 4 verse number 3 tells us that the the devil's crowd Haman rises up and begins to uh, coordinate a plan to not just keep them in bondage but now he's going to try to annihilate every Jew inside the kingdom. What does that mean preacher? The best way I know to illustrate the gravity of the situation would be to say it's like Hitler when he blamed the Jews for every problem that was being had in their nation, their country and he wound up putting them in the camps and putting them in the centuries and burning and gassing the Jews and killing them by the millions and they literally had no way to stand up for their self. That is exactly what's happening in the book of Esther that is the backdrop, that is the atmosphere, it's not just dark but it's desperate. You say preacher what in the world does that have to do with me in 2020 I'm glad that you asked it's exactly what we're going through it may be in a different level and in a different way but nonetheless it's still very true I don't know if you know this or not tonight but we're living in some dark days we're living in days like we hadn't seen quite possibly in the entire uh, what I would say at least in the entirety of America being a nation it's never been darker it's been like that for generation upon generation at least the last 50 or 75 years it seems 
as though the church is cold. The world is callous. They don't value life. Everybody's hating everybody. We Listen, when you come to the place where abortion is now the number one killer in the world for the first time, when you have marriage that we can't even define, when we have 10-year-olds trying to figure out what gender they are, when we don't even know what bathroom to use, when everything in our lives is falling apart, you call that, you say, well, I call it politics, I call it this, I call it sin, I call it warfare. It's a dark day we're living in. It's a cloud of darkness of the devil that is hovering over us and he's brought a spirit of confusion to the mind and he's brought a spirit of callousness to our hearts. We don't even blush over sin anymore. We laugh at homosexuality when we should be crying and praying for him. We just back up and say, well, abortion's always been. Who cares? I talked to a man that professed to be a Christian and he told me, he said, I vote my pocketbook because abortion ain't going to change anyhow. Honey, that's a calloused heart, if not an ungenerated heart. We're living in some dark and some desperate days. It's not just dark, but it's desperate in our country. Just as in the book of Esther, overnight it elevated to a new level. In our country in the last three or four months, we have found that the devil and his crowd has elevated to a new level. The devil is not working in the shadows trying to sow discord in our country. He stepped plumb out in the limelight and said, that's me. That's my crowd. I mean, they've adamantly said we hate the church. They've adamantly said they want to bring it down. They've adamantly said they want a one world government. Listen, what's happening in Washington, it's bigger than Republican and Democrat. This ain't your mama and papa. Back when they were arguing over 401ks and corporate tax plans, we left that a long time ago. Now we're fighting over the value of life and the sanctity of the word of God and a church even being able to preach whatever they want. I'm telling you, these are desperate days. And as my preacher friend was saying last night, if anything I could try to get through to you tonight is I want you to fill in your heart and understand we're at a crossroads in this country. Our future's on the line. Our babies are on the line. If somebody don't touch heaven, if somebody don't do something, it very well may be over in our country. You say, well, the Bible promised there'd be a remnant. Yeah, but it don't have to be in America. We're not mentioning end times. There's a lot of different ways. I hope we have such a big revival that when the rapture happens, the country falls apart. I'm a positive person. I really would like to think that would happen. But honey, that does not mean that because we're Americans and God must owe us something and that means we're going to have smooth, smooth selling. There's no guarantees to any of that tonight. And let me even say this. Even if God preserved a remnant right here in our country, define that number count. Is that a hundred? Is that a thousand? It don't have to be a hundred million people around the world gathered in revival and fire. God could just hold up a few hundred people hid back in the mountains somewhere and that would still be a remnant. I'm trying to tell you tonight, it's important that we pray. It's important that we better find out what God has to say in these days. We better put our whole heart in like we never have. Somebody better get serious with God because there's much at stake in this desperate hour. I find that in the book of Esther, God responds to those days with three responses. And I believe they'll apply to us in our day. I'm glad our Bible, although much of it may have been written thousands of years ago, I'm glad it's just as relevant and just as current tonight under a tent. Number one, I find that God responded this way. I find the providence in Jehovah. Chapter number two, verse number 17. Listen to what the Bible says. And the king loved Esther above all the women 
And she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Now watch what's happening here in this kingdom. One day the Jews are living here in this Persian kingdom and we find that the, the king of this nation and of this, this area, this kingdom, everything's fine, everything's good. He seems like he's got some self-control, somewhat some morality about him. He's treating the, the Jews pretty good to be slaves. But then one day, you hear me tonight now, he decided to throw a party. He decided to hang with the wrong crowd. He decided to get drunk. He decided to have a good time. And how many of you know, you go to drinking and hanging with the wrong people, it's going to wind up a disaster. And all of a sudden when he was drunk, he thought, boy, I'm going to show out. And I'm going to show off. And I'm going to prove that I'm a big macho man. How many of you know that ego's a dangerous thing? And we find that all these men that he's brought in around, and he wants to strut in front of them, and show how great he is and how big and bad he is. So he asked his wife to come in. Well, she says no. She's got some character about her. She said, I'm not prostituting my body in front of a bunch of men. So now guess what happens? He's got hurt on the inside. The ego's been deflated. He's mad. Now all these men go to talking in his ear. And to make a very long story short, they convince him to come down hard on her so it keeps her in line, keeps the rest of the women in line. Listen, in this culture, they have no rights. They're not treated the way they should. I'm sorry, ladies, tonight. That's just the way that it was. It was wrong, but that's the way they were treated. And this king made a princely, made a stand that you're going to do what I say. Now we find that we've got a king who's falling out of control. He's lost his ability to love properly. He's lost his ability to live properly. He's thrown his wife out. The kingdom is rocking from side to side. It looks like everything's out of control. And to make things worse, you read the book of Esther. Chapter, chapter, from cover to cover. All ten chapters and you will not find the word of God in a proper name mentioned one time. You won't find El Shaddai. You won't find Yahweh. His name is not mentioned in his proper name form. Yet can I say something to you tonight? Although it looks doom and gloom and it looks like the king's out of control and the Jews are going to fight for their lives and before long they're going to try to kill them all. It looks like there's no hope. It looks like nothing's happening and God ain't within a hundred miles. Can I tell you what the good news is? Although God wasn't standing in the limelight shouting his name and showing his power out front somewhere standing in the shadows was the supernatural providential hand of an almighty powerful God and I like it like this tonight here's what I believe although his name may not be mentioned in his proper form and it's the only book in the Bible that is that way I still love it that to be able to let you know tonight that I find that God has never been more involved and he's never been more in control than in the book of Esther and that is good news to us tonight. Why? Because I want you to know that when you feel like your world is falling apart and everything's out of control and everything you're holding on to is slipping through your fingers and your marriage is struggling and your children are going crazy and your job's not right and your money's not right and everything that's happening in our country has you so much anxiety that you can't breathe 
and you feel like God is nowhere around. You say, preacher, I don't hear him. Preacher, I don't see him. Preacher, it looks like he's nowhere around. I want you to know he's closer than he's ever been. It may be in your life that he's not writing his name out front in the limelight, but somewhere standing in the shadows is a God. He was just as much God when the king lost his mind as he was when everything was going good. And he's just as much God tonight in your life when it's good and when it's bad. He's still God. He's still either all God or he's no God at all. I preach a big God. I hope that don't make you nervous. He either knows all things and he's in control of all things or he ain't God at all tonight. He didn't get taken by surprise with COVID. He ain't taken by surprise with hatred in our country on all sides and all of the disarray that's happening. He's not shocked by that tonight. He's not drinking Maalox thinking up a plan B. No, honey, somewhere sitting high and holy on a throne in heaven is a God that's running everything right on time. He don't create sin, but he allows sin. He allows situations. Why? Because God's trying to do something for the church. I believe it's judgment, but I believe it's mercy wrapped up in the package of judgment because God's trying to touch his people. God's trying to show his providence. God's trying to prove to us that he's a God worth trusting and serving. You want me to prove it to you tonight? I'm not a political preacher. I don't mention much about it. But you can't, you cannot overstate what happened four years ago. Everything in our country was pointing towards disaster. I don't care what party you vote. It was very clear that Mrs. Clinton hated the church and was coming for the church. And nobody thought anything was going to happen anywhere contrary to that. But all of a sudden, I was watching that nine. I remember eight o'clock, I thought, eh, well, they're still talking like it ain't good. Ten o'clock, I said, I'm going to drink an energy drink and stay up. <laughs> By 2.30 in the morning, honey, I was ready to grab a shotgun, get me a pair of boots on, an American flag, and run the neighborhood. Can I get a witness? The American boy was coming out. I said, look, at, I'm telling you, you believe what you want to. I feel, I feel goosebumps the size of frogs every time I talk about this because God wanted us to know what can happen when a few of his remnant pray. They were sitting on the news network. They had their heads covered. They didn't know what to say. They were stuttering. I was flipping from channel to channel. One old fella just laid down on the set. Live TV had his head down on the counter saying, this can't be right. This can't be right. You know what happened? An almighty God in heaven reached his providential hand down. And when everybody said it couldn't be, he raised up a man that he had his heart in the palm of his hand. And he had mercy on the church. If God could take down the media, if God could take down the one world currency and governments and ruling up people and all of sorrows and all of that crowd that are working behind the scenes to bankrupt the world and build exactly what Revelation says is coming. They control everything, y'all tonight. They have all power and control. Everybody bows to these crowds. Yet God with one swipe of his hand, he turned the entire thing. And look what we've had. Imagine going through this the last four months. If Mr. Trump wouldn't have been in office. Look how he stood up for the church. Look what the DOJ has said. God wants somebody to give him some glory for what he's done. The greatest sin we could probably commit so far this year would be to underestimate the providence of God and the mercy 
mercy of God, by what he did for the church, what he did for the sake of Israel, how he's loved Israel and the church. I'm just telling you tonight, if God could get all of that done in four years, then honey, don't you think he could take care of your problems, save your babies, do what we're asking God to do in prayer, send a measure of revival. He's still God tonight. He's still got plenty enough power. Somebody's just got to believe in his providence. Somebody's just got to say, I believe God. He's either God or he's not. He's either God or he's not tonight. Somebody's got to say, even when the enemy comes in like a flood, I still believe that God is big enough to hold true to his promises in the Bible, which this verse says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, it says God shall lift up a standard. God will stand on your behalf. God will work on your behalf. The Jews' lives had never been more out of their control, but it had never been more in God's control. The reason I'm going to go tonight, find me a cheeseburger, say my prayers, walk by the creek in my hotel, tail and then pillar my head and sleep like a baby tonight is because my God holds me in the palm of his hand. Ain't nothing going to happen to me unless God lets it happen. I'm held in the hand of an almighty God and if he loved me enough to save me, he sure loves me enough to keep me and to order my steps and to take care of my family. I'm telling you tonight it's time we quit running in fear and we start standing and fighting in faith, believing in the providential hand of God. Lord, i got to go on. I'm going to die up here tonight. If I don't have a heat stroke, we'll get to the good part in a minute. The providence in Jehovah. But I find response number two is the plan through a Jew. Chapter number four, verse number 16. The Bible says there at the end, she says, I'm going to fast me and my maidens. And she says this. She says, and I'm going to go in, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Make another long story short tonight. All of a sudden, the king needs a queen. You ain't a king without a queen. In that day, again, sorry, ladies, they ran about a beauty pageant. And he sat there and checked them all out, picked who he wanted to marry, and they had to marry him. Sounds like a wonderful system, don't it? But Mordecai, who's God's man, he's God's man on the inside. Boy, God's got about a dozen of them in Washington right now. I ain't getting hung up on that again, but boy, ain't God good. And Mordecai's on the inside. He gets word of all this, and he goes to his little niece, Esther, and says, I believe God wants you to go. Try to be that queen. I believe God's up to something, honey. So she goes and listens to the authorities in her life and to her spiritual guidance. The Bible says that she came in and everybody got a turn. But when she came in and stood before the king, the Bible says something happened in his heart. And it says he loved her above all the other women. And he put a crown on her head. Now there'll be somebody that said, well, she is probably a knockout. Maybe, maybe God created her to be the most beautiful woman there ever was so he would like her. No, honey. That wouldn't get God the glory he deserves. Let me tell you what the Lord did. He took an average old gal 
who was nothing much, probably had poor little pleasant clothes on. She sure couldn't afford all the things to deck herself out like some of the rich women. She was just a little old Jew living in bondage, headed nowhere fast. She probably just stood there and said, I really shouldn't even be here. I'm so outmatched by the rest of them. But King, he told me to come. And she's just standing there. And the king says, boy, I like her. You want to know why he liked her tonight? Let me just tell you just like it is. He liked her because God wanted him to like her. The Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. You know what the Holy Ghost did when she stepped up there? He went over there and grabbed his heart and said, boy, ain't she pretty? He said, yeah, there's something different about her. He said, you're going to marry her. He says, that's exactly what I want to do. He thought it was his idea, but it was God's idea. Let me just go back and touch this one more time. Our president has been heard to say and quoted on phone calls with religious leaders saying this, I'm doing things. I don't even know why I'm doing them. It's like there's something on the inside that's pushing me. That ought to make us run 12 laps tonight. You know what that tells me? The Holy Ghost is sitting in the White House at the Oval Office desk saying, sign this. Go this way. Love Israel. Take care of them. Do this for the church. And he says, that's my idea. And God chuckles and says, believe what you want, but I got you right where I want you. And that king has got his heart closed. And he's and that little queen standing there. And the Bible says that he put that crown on her head. And she walks around now. And she's finding how prophet is. Can bring such favor in her life. as she paces that palace. And says, it's really true. I'm the queen. What woman wouldn't want to be a queen? They play princess and dress up in queen when they're little. Let me break it down for you how big a deal this is. Most of y'all's like me tonight. If you go out to eat, some of us in here, we're going to check the price values even at, at McDonald's. Can I get a witness? We want to know where our money's headed. These are, these are <laughs> crazy days. But you know what that's like? That's like going to Longhorn and saying, boy, I would get to ribeye. This may not be the right time for that. Our family's got some needs, so we'll just get a We'll just get a cheeseburger. Still say it was good to sit in the atmosphere, Longhorn. That's Esther. But one day after God gets done with his providence in her life, she's literally standing up there saying, I wonder where I want to eat because I own all the restaurants now. She went down one day to stand in front of the king worth hardly nothing. And she woke up the next day with a crown on her head and she owned everything, y'all. And we find the providence and the favor, the plan of God in her life. And I wonder if she walked around and she said, I wonder what's all this about. Listen, you don't become a multimillionaire overnight and not wonder how it happened. She's a believer. Her uncle's a holy, godly man of great wisdom. No doubt, she said, Uncle Mordecai, what's this mean? He says, I don't know yet, baby. She says, why me? Why did God let me be born where I was born? Why did God let me be alive right now? Why did God let me be a part of the family I'm a part of? Let me break it down where we live. 
Why did God let me have the position I am? Be in the family I am? Be at the church that I am? Have the preacher that I do? Know God like I do? Have a prayer life like I do? Have the great job that I have? Have wealth that I have? Listen, all of them things are given to us by the hand of God because God has a plan. The greatest day in your life has already told you outside of getting saved is find out what God's up to and get busy in that purpose. That's where joy comes. That's where the blessings and miracles of God comes. And Esther's walking around, scratching her head, trying to figure it out. But you trust me, the same way it happened to Esther, it happened to you. There'll come a day God's going to let you know exactly why it happened the way it did. Because you remember this verse tonight. Too much is given, much is required. The fact that you've been born in these mountains already puts you under great burden of requirement. I preached in Texas, flew back in Saturday, preached somewhere Sunday and come here. While I was in Texas, there is no heritage. There is no history. But you know what? They'd put up most churches. Now, y'all easy to preach to tonight. You know, it's a great church. Y'all are on a whole other level. But the average church in North Carolina that I, that I preach in, that these men preach in, that Texas crowd would have put them to shame and embarrassed them. They don't even know what to do, preacher, but they just want to do something. They said, preacher, tell me to pray, we'll pray. Tell me to shout, we'll shout. We just want God. They don't fight. They get along. All the preachers work together. They donate money to each other's meeting. There was other churches that fed me and fed the workers at a meeting that wasn't theirs. Their churches ain't 15 minutes apart. They invited their crowd to come over. Nobody cared who was there. Nobody cared whether they swapped churches. They just said, man, we need God. Those preachers fish together. They pray together. I'm talking about people that are loving God that have no heritage at all. But I promise you we will give an account for God for our roots being run here in the middle of the Bible Belt. You know everything about God and then son we know all about these beautiful tents and God moving in the sawdust it's not a bad thing it's a good thing but we better come to the place where we take inventory and say everything God's done in my life everything I have everything I've been accustomed to it comes at a price God has a purpose and I better fulfill it because much is required and one day Mordecai comes to her and says, I got bad news. He sends a servant. And she tells her, says, I got bad news. Mordecai sent word Haman's done bowed his head. He's full of the devil. The devil's going to try to kill us. He's done trick the king. He's put his ring signet. He's sealed it. They're going to kill us all. There's no stopping the law. It's been decreed. We need some help. We need mercy. Now, before we super spiritualize Esther... Let me show you how she responds. Because here's the truth tonight, church. I'm guilty of this, and maybe you are. Sometimes it's easy for me to read my Bible and say, boy, that's a superhuman right there. I, I ain't got nothing to do with him. Boy, Elijah, he's on another planet than me, but I'm glad for verses like where he's under a juniper tree. And I'm thankful in the New Testament where James said he was a man of like passions as we are. It means he struggled and he sinned and had to fight himself just like we do. Let me show you, Esther's no different than we are. She just let God use her. Because when word came, 
Now mind you, she's probably done walked around and looked at the walls and looked at the ceiling and looked at her gold crown and looked at her jewels and saw all that she's had and wondered what it was all about. But when the day came, fear's real. And they said, Esther, we need some help. Let me tell you what Esther did. She said, oh. And basically what the Bible says is she hid behind her crown and a throne and said, boy, I hate that for y'all. I'll pray for you. I'm not getting involved. It's way too risky. But I wish you the best. You're my people. I love you. But I'm staying here. It feels good in the palace. In other words, she was enjoying the life she was getting to live. So that servant said, okay. And that servant goes back to Mordecai. And Mordecai says, I know what she's struggling with. She's fighting fear. Fear's real tonight. You can't have faith and fear at the same time. And if you do to any measure, it sure won't be productive. I'll say that. And he said, you send word back. See, the king had bad influences. But you are who you're around. You are who you listen to. That's why church is so important. That's why we need to hang around each other and talk about God. Because you are who you're around and what you hear. So the Bible says, Mordecai said, you bitter this answer. And he comes back, and I read it to you at the beginning. He's basically saying in good old mountain language we can understand. He's saying, honey, listen, I know you're afraid. But don't you think that the devil's crowd ain't going to find out you're a Jew too, and you won't die along with us. He said, there's zero hope if you do nothing. But Esther, if you'll throw yourself on the plan and providence of God, there's no telling what might happen. Let's trust God. And he asked her a couple of questions I told you to remember, and this is the main of my message tonight. He said, who knows if you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then he asked her, and then she responds in a statement saying, if I perish, I perish. Here's what I come to ask you tonight, church. I would to God I was born 150 years ago. I won't make no bones about it. If God left it up to me, I'd love to see the great awakening. I'd love to see the days of Moody and Billy Sunday. I'd love to have been one of them and watch God do all that. That sounds pretty good. I tell you what I'd take tonight. I'd just as soon back up a few decades. I'd like to be living in Mayberry, sitting on 8th B's front porch, and the worst problem we got is Otis getting lit on Saturday night. You say, preacher, that's sin. You're right. I'm against it, but I'd take it about right now. As bad as things are getting. But let's get real. This ain't 1920. This ain't 1780. This ain't Mayberry. And it ain't going to change. And God who knows all things and who the Bible says does all things well. He looked through time and eternity and he said, I want you born right here and I want you to live right here and I want you to be a part of this church and you to serve God at this church and you to rise up right here. I didn't get to pick where I served and neither did you. But the question tonight is this, who knoweth if you've come to the kingdom for such a 
time as this. When you get all the fear out of it. When you get all the failure out of it. When you get all the devil out of it. It's really a pretty good day to be alive. Because the darker the night, the brighter the light can shine. These are days to see God move. This could be when the Lord comes back. I don't know about you. I'd love to be preaching somewhere and hear a trumpet sound and watch the eastern sky split. I still believe he's coming back. We could be the crowd that welcomes the Lord. I ain't got my head hung low tonight. I ain't running in fear. We ought to be standing in faith asking this question. Why have I come to the kingdom now? Why can you do such good carpentry work and you're alive right now? Probably because somewhere at your church you're going to be used. Why can I work on vehicles? Because your church needs you. Why can I train children and teach the Bible lessons so well? Because your church needs you. Why in the world did I, can I vacuum carpets and feed preachers and have a gift to cook and I have money that I can give and on down the line, you just plug in your gifts tonight. You've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God has a plan in these days. I'm not hiding tonight. I don't have a sad story for you. I believe these are good grounds for God to birth a revival out of. If the church would just do her part, if we'd just get off of our pleasure runs and our sin runs, and lay down all of that and rise up and be real men and be real women and say I'm tired of walking around in all the goodness of God and doing nothing with it but understanding that the goodness of God is in your life for a reason and you tell the devil to shut up and you tell him I'm not running any longer I'm not laying down any longer and you rise up and say I've got a plan and a purpose and I'm getting after it you say boy there'll be a battle you better believe it but do you believe God or not? My Bible says greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. We either, listen, we shout about having a King James Bible and I'm glad to have one. But I tell you what I want to do tonight. I know we got plenty of campaigns about standing on the word of God and I'm for every one of them. But I want to start a campaign where we quit standing on it and we actually pick it up and we read what it says and we get back to living by it and we say if the book says it, I'm going to believe it. If God said it, I'm going to apply it to my life and I'm going to trust God more than anything I see in this world. Now she says, if I perish, I perish. Let me give you the third one tonight, and I'll be closing. I find the, plan, the providence, the plan, God's last response was the preservation of the Jews. Chapter number 9, verse number 5. The Bible says, thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword and the slaughter and destruction and what they, and what they would have done unto us, we did unto them that hated them. Now here's what I'm telling you tonight. Watch this. Another long story short. I'm telling you, you need to read this book sometime. It'll help you in these days. There's more preaching in this than you can preach. Live, study, pray, everything. It's a good book. Man, it's good. So Esther's queen. She looks back at Mordecai. He's given her the advice. She's accepted it. She says, you fast for three days and three nights. You fast, and I'll fast, and then I'm going in under the king. And I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of his, of his power. Let me remind you of something tonight. Jesus said it, and it's still true. He said, this kind goeth out but by prayer and fasting. Now, I'm not trying to put you in no bondage tonight, but I am going to tell you the truth. If you ain't at least fasting in some measure, 
at least once a week, I can assure you tonight, you don't have power with God. We believe the book or we don't. You may have enough power to sing a song, to show up for choir, to just teach a Sunday school lesson or even preach a message. But I find in my life, when I lose the discipline of denying my flesh, it could be food, it could be entertainment, it could be TV, it could be social media, but you find something that you give up and you give that time to God. When I find that I lose my discipline every week, I find that my power with God begins to diminish and it ain't anybody else's fault and it ain't some preacher's fault and it ain't a bunch of dead people's fault when I cannot have my relationship with God. It ain't your fault and mine and vice versa. It's looking in the mirror at this person and saying, am I doing everything I can to make sure God is in me and God is also on me and I'm making a difference for him I'm telling you fasting is a lost art but it means everything Esther said I ain't going in with my life on the line until we fast until we pray I'm telling you our nation's on the line and we ought to look our kids and their eyeballs and then look up at God and say I'm not letting go of them and I'm not letting the devil have them God until I fasted all I can, until I prayed all I can, and until I give you every fiber I've got, and until I live my whole life for God, and then if I go down, I'm going down trusting you. If I go down, I'm going down fighting for God, not against God. I ain't rolling over to the world. I'm going against the world, and I'm trusting God. Never get a lot of shouting on that fasting, but I'm telling you, you ever try it, you ever try it, and you'll be shocked what the Lord will do. So now she goes in. And I love this part, preacher. That king sitting on his throne. Mind you, the last woman that showed out, she got thrown off the kingdom and wound up exiled to die somewhere. Now she busts the doors open uninvited. She's breaking code. She's hurting his ego. She's saying, I do what I want to do. She's doing the same thing the first woman did, just in a different way. The, the doors swing open. Here she comes. She gets down there. He has the scepter of authority. If he lays it over top of her, that's mercy. History tells us if he pulls it to the side, they're going to kill her. Her life is literally in the hand of the king. But you know what I find in my Bible? Again, let me give you some mountain lingo. You ready for it? The king looks at her. She's coming down all grins. Maybe there was men saying, you better deal with her. He said, don't you talk about my woman. That's my wife. Shut your mouth. She comes down. You know what it literally seems like he says? He says, Shuggy, pug what you want. Anything's yours. How come the first woman got a slap and a sword from a mean man? He ain't changed his character. He ain't repented nowhere. I don't find any of that. But the second woman, she gets the sweets and the shuggy pook. Tell me why. There's only one thing you can say tonight. And it'll bless you if you let him. Because of the providential, powerful hand of God that had a plan. And he reached down again and he squeezed the king's heart. And he said, be good to her. They fasted and prayed. And God's accepted the price. And he squeezes that heart and he says, you let her talk. You do what she says. And he says, that's exactly what I want to do. Thinking he's in control, but God's running the show. Long story short, she says, I want a banquet. They go to the banquet. She tells on Haman he's there. The king's there. He gets so mad, he runs out. 
he's out there pacing. Mad as 40 devils saying somebody's a liar. Somebody's committed treason. Somebody's trying to bankrupt my kingdom. Nothing made a king as mad as that. Boy, he's pacing. Can you see him out there in the gardens? He's pacing. On the inside, Haman decides he's going to try to talk to her and cut a deal. Let me say this to you tonight. The devil always overplays his hand. And while he's coming to talk to her, the Bible says he falls upon her. Let me tell you what that means. Some good old mountain language again. That providential hand, it's not just powerful. It's so long it can reach through all the stars and galaxies further than we can see with our greatest telescopes. And God from his throne reached that powerful right hand all the way down to earth. And he grabbed Haman by the one leg and tripped it over the other. And when he didn't think he would do that, when he didn't even know what happened, he falls on top of Esther. And if you believe in coincidences, you're going to see some good ones right here. At the same time that he falls on top of her, the Bible says the king decides to come back in. And now he finds Haman on top of his wife. He says, it ain't enough that you was going to take my kingdom. Now you're trying to steal my wife. I won't take this. At the same time, there's another coincidence. Now one of the servants comes running in. And he says, oh, live the king forever. He says, you won't believe this. But I just found at Haman's house gallows with nooses on them. He was going to hang your people. He was going to hang your children. How, what would you reckon tonight the probability of coincidence was that at the same time, all of this could have happened? What do you, why didn't that servant find it a day earlier or six hours earlier because God let him find it at the right time. God let Haman make a fool of himself at the right time. God let the king come in at the right time. God was working and he was in control. Here's what I love. Haman's wife said this and I'm closing. Haman's wife said this. She said cool your jets. That, that man that represents the devil's cry, his own wife said don't overplay your, your hand. You've got it right where you want it. The kingdom's going to be yours. Just take it easy. But there's a five-letter word that all sin originates from, and it's called pride. That's the root of every sin. It's the worst sin of all because all others come from it. And Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. And that ego and pride, it was eating him up. And he said, I can't take it no more. I'm going to deal with that man. And he overplayed his hand. And before the night was over, the king looks at Esther, says, what do you want to be done? She said, you take him, take all his sons and hang them off with their heads. And what the devil meant for evil, God meant it for good. And what was going to be the Jews' heads, what was going to be Mordecai and her's head, it turned out to be the devil's crowd. And they were the ones hanging on what they created for the people of God. Oh, I wish somebody would hear me tonight. I want you to know that the devil has a plan tonight. He's up to some big things in our country. He's got some big players involved. They've got the gallows up. They've got the ropes hanging. They think they got the church right where they want them. But I'm going to tell you what I believe tonight. At the last watch of the night, about 30 seconds before we go down, that providential hand will reach down. You ain't got to fear tonight. You ain't got to worry. That verse is still true. Upon this rock 
rock I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and I'm telling you what God's going to do he's going to reach that hand down he's going to grab the devil's crowd by one foot trip them on top of the other he's going to expose everything about them just like he did four years ago when he exposed that crowd and we wound up having mercy and God will have his way I don't care what he has to do in your life what he has to do in my life what he has to do in our churches he's still God nothing's out of his control the devil always overplays his hand and God will always prevail in your life and then the Bible says that she looked at him and said give my people swords so we can fight we can't stop the decree give us swords to fight and don't overestimate this this man just had a queen show out on it he just had to kill his right hand man for treason and now his new wife that he barely knows and just found out she's a Jew who he never knew that before she's saying hey equip all these millions of people with swords if this goes wrong the Jews could take them swords and overthrow his kingdom but you know what he says he says Shuggy Pug have whatever you want because God I don't know if you're getting the theme tonight or not but it's just all God it's just all Him it's all Him today it was all Him then it'll be all Him tomorrow He's still God He's always been and He always will be He's still the same yesterday today and forever I'm telling you tonight if He's got to talk the world into giving you swords and you turn around and take the swords and kill them with them God will do what He wants to do and he ain't forgot about us. And the Bible says when the dust had settled and the sun had set, the Jews were standing tall and the devil's crowd was bleeding out from the jugular and it was all over. And one day, one day, I'm telling you, child of God, one day, I don't know how he's going to do it, but I just believe that he ain't going to let the church go out of here limping with no power, with no purity. It may not be large scale and nationwide, but that real church, that weed among the tares, God's going to strengthen us again. And I believe with every fiber in my heart, God's going to do something for his children. And God's going to show his power. And God's going to let us be able to stand tall. And when the dust settles and the sun's setting and the Lord's about to come back, the church will be standing up and the devil will be down on the ground in defeat because he's God and he still has all power. Where's my brother at tonight? There you are, brother. You want to come play for me? Just throw my jacket in the floor. She ain't no good anyways. While he's getting us ready, I'll give you a little story that's been on my heart. A good preacher friend of mine that writes devotions, I read them every day. Some years ago he wrote this, and I, I held on to it forever. And uh, it come out in this message, and I remembered it, and I looked it up, and, and this is where the message come from, how I titled it. He says there's a true story during World War II, America's greatest generation. We just celebrated D-Day. And I promise you, that's some real men, and I praise God for them. The story says there was two plane pilots flying on two, I guess, B-52 bombers or whatever it was. And they had a mission. They flew off of a carrier big as a football field or more. And they went to the designated location. They dropped them bombs. Blew up the enemy's resources and they were on their way back they get close to where they know that boat should be and they radioed in and they said request 
for permission for lighting. In other words, light the runway. We're coming in. Mission successful. They never would have dreamed, Brother Iyer, what they're about to hear. Man comes back that's running the radio. He says, per the admiral and request from headquarters, we must maintain blackout. There's enemy surveillance in the area. They said the lines went quiet for a minute. They thought, my goodness. So they radioed back and said, SOS, we're about out of fuel. We got to land. Here's what they said. They said permission for what just one little light on the end of the runway and we'll take our chances. Just one little light, sir, so we know how to land our planes and save our lives. Story says, true story, comes back in and says this, permission denied, must maintain blackout. The lines went blank. Nothing else is heard. And days later, they found the bodies of two men in planes who ran out of fuel trying to find just enough light to save their lives. And my heart, brother, went to my mind, immediately started running. And I said, my God, that's exactly where we're living, Lord. Job says they're groping in darkness. They don't know where they're going. Now, we had a good night. I hope I ain't going to make nobody mad right here. But you do understand that it is the depravity of a man's heart that he can kneel on another man's neck and cold-heartedly stare in a camera and kill him. I don't care what color he is, that's sin. That's hatched out of hell. That same wickedness and darkness is what makes people burn buildings down and take people's livelihood. There's hatred everywhere. And then we get shocked. And we say, I can't believe these people are doing that. What we should say is they're doing exactly what they should. Guess what sinners do? They sin. We're born with that nature. That's why the gospel's important. That's why we're at a crossroads tonight. I'm not mad at them. I'm mad at me. Because if there was enough light they would know how to land their plane. They would know how to get out of groping in darkness. If I could shout enough for somebody, I can't reach everybody, but I can reach somebody. If there was enough God on me, not just in me, that I wouldn't just be a Christian at church, but somehow when the enemy has me surrounded, I would rise up in faith instead of fear and say I'm not maintaining blackout I'm not cruising to heaven I'm not hiding out somewhere in my little pleasures of life but I'm going to stand up and say they're worth it their soul is worth it they're going to hell and I can't let them go not holding on to my little things but I stand up and say I'm turning my light on I'm going to shine for Jesus I don't care what the devil does greater is he that's in me and you get a burden and you you get some tears and you say sinners are just doing what they do but you want to know why it's worse now than it's ever been because there's less light right now than there's ever been we're seeing the effects of no more tent meetings where God's really there we're seeing the effects of what happens when our churches are closed down for months you can blame China 
you can blame whoever, but let's be honest. The average Baptist church on a Sunday morning, it really wouldn't make a difference whether we met or not as far as how darkness and light goes. It's been so long since hell got scared when we said we're having church. Because we ain't praying. Because we ain't really got the burden and the power. Because we really hadn't said I've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And instead of trying to find light ways to turn our lights on, we've been trying to find ways to keep our lives at ease in Zion. And say as long as I'm saved, my children hopefully are saved. And I go to heaven one day, I'm just going to enjoy the ride. Hear me tonight. Somebody, they may be saying it through hatred. They may be saying it through drugs and alcohol. They may be saying it through ODing on pills and needing something to bring them back to life. What's that stuff called that brings them back? Narcan. I saw the other day at a gas station, they were standing out front saying, free Narcan. Stop in. That's how bad it's got. We're passing out the gas station now because people are so desperate for it because they're trying to kill themselves. Do you know what they're really saying, church? Here's what they're saying. SOS! I'm running out of fuel and I'm not sure what's real and right, but I know I'm miserable. One little light. Somebody show me something and I'll take my chances. But I'm afraid many times old Heath has said, the enemy has us surrounded. I must maintain blackout status. That's the order. And then when it's too late, we say, boy, I wish, I wish they had just got right with God and I know they have a choice. But we go a long ways in impacting that choice. Especially in them babies and them grandbabies and your family and them people you know well. When you hold their heart in your hand, we go a long ways. I wonder, is your light shining tonight? Say, preacher, I'm old. My light's flickering. My light's dim. I'm a hunter. I'm a redneck. And I promise you, I've been out on some country nights when it gets so plumb dark, you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. I'd take a flickering flashlight over nothing. I'd take a dim one running out of batteries over sitting in darkness. When it comes down to it, I'd take whatever I could get over nothing. If you got any light at all tonight, God's looking for you. The darker the night, the brighter the light can shine. It's getting dark, church. But the good news is when you turn your light on, they'll be able to see you that much better. Somebody's counting on you. Somebody's saying without knowing how to say it, go get God. Turn your light on this week. Get real with the Holy Spirit. Confess your sins. Come clean with God. Ask God for a burden. Ask God for a touch. Ask God to put you somewhere in the church servant. Because if you don't, I'll never get to the vessel. I'll never find my way to heaven. I need help. SOS. I wonder what will you do with your light tonight? You stand all over the building. He's playing for us. You're going to sing. She's going to mind the Lord tonight. Why don't you come? Why don't you gather around and say, God, give me a line. God, I've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What's it all about? He'll tell you if you'll ask him.
Somebody get enough faith and boldness tonight. Say, if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to die with my light on, trying to help the people I love in my community. Let them know. Let them know that Jesus is real and there's hope and healing for their life. While she sings, you mind the Lord. We're at a crossroads, church. What will you do tonight? What will you do? you in the palm of his hand. I want to say a few things and the pastor will come. Number one, 
I want to thank you for your kindness to listen. I know I went a little long tonight. Y'all, yeah, y'all preach a feller to death, praise God. You've been with me some places I've been lately. It's hard to get loose when the honey's running. Billy Kelly said some places so cold. Said time you bring your mule down front, it'll be giving ice cream instead of milk. Feels good under here tonight. Means you love God and you want God. That's the recipe for the Lord to do so. He may do it this week. He may do it next month. But he ain't never sold his people short. And I appreciate you tonight.